Section 10 of Fires and Firefighters by John Kenlon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Great Fires and How They Were Fought. Part 1a. Great conflagrations are plentifully recorded during Roman times, and as has been shown, all that the science of the period, coupled with the most commendable forethought, could accomplish was done to stave off the peril. Nonetheless, however, the magnificent Basilica Julia, a building devoted to law courts, completed by Augustus in B.C. 44, after plans designed by Julius Caesar, was entirely gutted, and remains to this day a relic of architectural antiquity and a perpetual reminder that fire risks ever were and probably ever will be amongst the perils of existence again in sixty four a d rome was devastated by an outbreak which lasted three days and burned out most of the residential portion of the city it has been popularly attributed to that peculiarly eccentric emperor nero but in justice to that despot it must be added that the evidence of his being a firebug on a gigantic scale is slight then occurred a lapse of centuries during which no doubt bad fires took place but they were not of a sufficiently startling character to leave any permanent mark upon history till the partial destruction of london in sixteen sixty six the details of this conflagration are so well known that it seems almost unnecessary to dwell upon it but the following description drawn from a diary of that gossipy old chronicler samuel pepys appears worthy of quotation since he was an eye-witness and the style in which he writes is so quaint september second lord's day some of our maids sitting up late last night to get things ready against our feast to-day jane called us up about three in the morning to tell us of a great fire they saw in the city so i rose and slipped on my nightgown and went to the window but being unused to such fires as followed i thought it far enough off and so to bed again and to sleep by and by jane comes and tells me that she hears that above three hundred houses have been burned down to-night by the fire we saw and that it is now burning down all fish street by london bridge so i made myself ready presently and walked to the tower and there got up upon one of the high places sir j robinson's little son going up with me and there i did see the houses at that end of the bridge all on fire and an infinite great fire on this and the other side the end of the bridge among which other people did trouble me for poor little mitchell and our sarah on the bridge so down with my heart full of trouble to the lieutenant of the tower who tells me that it begun this morning in the king's baker's house in pudding lane and that it hath burnt down saint magnus's church and the most part of fish street already so i go down to the waterside and there got a boat and through bridge and there saw a lamentable fire poor mitchell's house as far as the old swan already burned that way and the fire running further that in a very little time it got as far as the steel yard while i was there everybody endeavouring to remove their goods and flinging into the river or bringing them into lighters that lay off 
poor people staying in their houses as long as till the very fire touched them and then running into boats or clambering from one pair of stairs by the waterside to another and among other things the poor pigeons i perceived were loath to leave their houses but hovered about the windows and balconies till they burned their wings and fell down having stayed and in an hour's time seen the fire rage every way and nobody to my sight endeavouring to quench it but to remove their goods and leave all to the fire and having seen it get as far as the steel-yard and the wind mighty high and driving it into the city and everything after so long a drought proving combustible even the very stones of the churches and among other things the poor steeple by which pretty mrs blank lives and whereof my old schoolfellow elborow is a parson taken fire in the very top and there burned till it fell down i go to whitehall with a gentleman with me who desired to go off from the tower to see the fire in my boat and there up to the king's closet in the chapel where people come about me and i did give them an account dismayed them all and word was carried in to the king so i was called for and did tell the king and the duke of york what i saw and that unless his majesty did command houses to be pulled down nothing could stop the fire they seemed much troubled and the king commanded me to go to my lord mayor for him and command him to spare no houses but to pull them down before the fire every way the duke of york bid me tell him that if he would have any more soldiers he shall and so did my lord arlington after as a great secret here meeting with captain cook i in his coach which he lent me and creed with me to st paul's and there walked along watling street as well as i could every creature coming away loaded with goods to save and here and there sick people carried away in beds extraordinary good goods carried in carts and on backs at last met my lord mayor in canning street like a man spent with a handkerchief about his neck to the king's message he cried like a fainting woman lord what can i do i am spent people will not obey me i have been pulling down houses but the fire overtakes us faster than we can do it that he needed no more soldiers and that for himself he must go and refresh himself having been up all night so he left me and i him and walked home seeing people all almost distracted and no manner of means used to quench the fire the houses too so very thick thereabouts and full of matter for burning as pitch and tar in thames street and warehouses of oil and wines and brandy and other things here i saw mr isaac hoblin the handsome man prettily dressed and dirty at his door at dowgate receiving some of his brother's things whose houses were on fire and as he says have been removed twice already and he doubts as it was soon proved that they must be removed from his house also in a little time which was a sad consideration and to see the churches all filling with goods by people who themselves should have been quietly there at that time by this time it was about twelve o'clock and so home and there find my guests so near the fire as we could for the smoke and all over the thames with one's faces in the wind you were almost burned with a shower of fire-drops 
this is very true so as houses were burned by these drops and flakes of fire three or four nay five or six houses one after another when we could endure no more upon the water we to a little alehouse on the bank side over against the three cranes and there stayed till it was dark almost and saw the fire grow and as it grew darker appeared more and more and in corners and upon steeples and between churches and houses as far as we could see up the hill of the city in a most horrid malicious bloody flame not like the fine flame of an ordinary fire the chronicler at this point was forced to leave his own home and find shelter with one sir w ryder this occupied him during the third of september he continues on the fourth sir w penn and i to the tower street and there met the fire burning three or four doors beyond mr howells whose goods poor man his trays and dishes shovels etc were flung all along tower street in the kennels and people working therewith from one end to the other the fire coming on in that narrow street with incredible fury and in the evening sir w penn and i did dig another pit and put our wine in it and i my parmesan cheese as well as my wine and some other things i after supper walked in the dark down to tower street and there saw it all on fire at the trinity house on that side and the dolphin tavern on this side which was very near us and the whole heaven on fire now begins the practice of blowing up of houses in tower street those next the tower which at first did frighten people more than anything but it stopped the fire where it was done it bringing down the houses to the ground in the same places they stood and then it was easy to quench what little fire was in it though it kindled nothing almost fifth about two in the morning my wife calls me up and tells me of new cries of fire it being come to barking church which is the bottom of our lane i up and finding it is so resolved presently to take her away and did and took my gold which was about two thousand three hundred fifty pounds w hewer and jane down by proudie's boat to woolwich but lord what a sad sight it was by moonlight to see the whole city almost on fire that you might see it as plain at woolwich as if you were by it but to the fire and there find greater hopes than i expected for my confidence of finding our office on fire was such that i durst not ask anybody how it was with us till i come and saw that it was not burned but going to the fire i find by the blowing up of houses and the great help given by the workmen out of the king's yards sent up by sir w penn there is a good stop given to it as well at mark lane end as at ours it having only burned the dial of barking church and part of the porch and was there quenched i up to the top of barking steeple and there saw the saddest sight of desolation that i ever saw everywhere great fires oil cellars and brimstone and other things burning i became afraid to stay there long and therefore down again as fast as i could the fire being spread as far as i could see it and to sir w penn's and there eat a piece of cold meat having eaten nothing since sunday but the remains of sunday's dinner 
Here I met with Mr. Young and Whistler, and having removed all my things, and received good hopes that the fire at our end is stopped, then I walk into the town, and find Fenchurch Street, Gracious Street, and Lombard Street all in dust. The exchange a sad sight, nothing standing there. Of all the statues or pillars, but Sir Thomas Gresham's picture in the corner. Into more fields, our feet ready to burn, walking through the town among the hot coals, and find that full of people, and poor wretches carrying their goods there, and everybody keeping his goods together by themselves, and a great blessing it is to them that it is fair weather for them to keep abroad night and day. Drunk there, and paid tuppence for a penny loaf. Thence homeward, having passed through Cheapside, and Newgate Market, all burned, and seen Anthony Joyce's house in fire, and took up, which I keep by me, a piece of glass of the Mercer's Chapel in the street, where much more was, so melted and buckled with the heat of the fire-like parchment. I did also see a poor cat taken out of a hole in a chimney, joining to the wall of the exchange, with the hair all burned off the body, and yet alive. Sixth. Up about five o'clock, and met Mr. Gowden at the gate of the office, I intending to go out, as I used every now and then, to-day, to see how the fire is, to call our men to Bishop's Gate, where no fire had yet been near, and there is now one broke out, which did give great grounds to people, and to me too, to think that there is some kind of plot in this, on which many by this time have been taken, and it hath been dangerous for any stranger to walk in the streets. But I went with the men, and we did put it out in a little time, so that that was well again. It was pretty to see how hard the women did work in the canals, sweeping of water, but then they would scold for drink and be drunk as devils. I saw good butts of sugar broke open in the street, and people give and take handfuls out, and put into beer and drink it. And now, all being pretty well, I took boat and over to Southwark, and took boat on the other side of the bridge, and so to Westminster, thinking to shift myself, being all in dirt from top to bottom, but could not there find any place to buy a shirt or a pair of gloves, Westminster Hall being full of people's goods, those in Westminster having removed all their goods, and the exchequer money put into vessels to carry to none such, but to the swan, and there was trimmed, and then to Whitehall, but saw nobody, and so home. A sad sight to see how the river looks, no houses nor church near it, to the temple where it stopped. At home did go with Sir W. Batten, and our neighbor Knightley, who with one more was the only man of any fashion left in the neighborhood thereabouts, they all removing their goods and leaving their houses to the mercy of the fire. Thence down to Deptford, and there with great satisfaction landed all my goods at Sir G. Carteret's safe, and nothing missed I could see or hear. But strange it is to see Cloth Workers Hall on fire these three days and nights, in one body of flame, it being the cellar full of oil. Seventh. Up by five o'clock, and, blessed be God, find all well, and by water to Payne's Wharf, 
walked hence and saw all the town burned and a miserable sight of paul's church with all the roofs fallen and the body of the choir fallen into st faith's paul's school also ludgate and fleet street my father's house and the church and a good part of the temple alike this day our merchants first met at gresham college which by proclamation is to be their exchange strange to hear what is bid for houses all up and down here a friend of sir w ryder's having a hundred and fifty pounds for what he used to let for forty pounds per annum much dispute where the custom-house shall be thereby the growth of the city again to be foreseen people all over the world do cry out of the simplicity of my lord mayor in general and more particularly in this business of the fire laying it all upon him much good discourse among others of the low spirits of some rich men of the city in sparing any encouragement to the poor people that wrought for the saving of their houses among others alderman starling a very rich man without children the fire at next door to him in our lane after our men had saved his house did give two shillings and sixpence among thirty of them and did quarrel with some that would remove the rubbish out of the way of the fire saying that they had come to steal fifteenth captain cook says he hath computed that the rents of the houses lost in this fire in the city comes to six hundred thousand pounds per annum seventeenth by water seeing the city all the way a sad sight indeed much fire being still in so much for the story of the fire of london as told by so inquisitive and garrulous an eye-witness as samuel pepys he could have had no idea that two and a half centuries later all that he remarked as passing strange would be repeated in another continent and amongst buildings higher than the then summit of paul's church and yet it is curious to note how identical in many respects are the great conflagrations of to-day the general rush for safety with never a moment's consideration as to whether after all there may not be some advantage in the defence of the home by the individual the starting of subsidiary fires by burning embers the use of explosives as a means of stopping a conflagration often only to increase the damage the frantic appeal to the mayor to do something and the failure of that individual often to rise to the occasion and finally of course the finding of a suitable scapegoat upon whom to heap blame it also proves the lamentable condition to which the science of fire prevention has sunk when the most important and the most wealthy city of the period not only possessed no organized plan of fire resistance but was content to let it burn for aught its inhabitants cared so long as their individual property was saved the lesson however was not forgotten and undoubtedly the modern fire department owes its renaissance from roman times to this disaster which once and for all taught the good burgesses of london and elsewhere that fire was an enemy as crafty and as dangerous as any on land or sea amongst great conflagrations that of the city of baltimore which occurred on sunday february seventh nineteen o four 
and continued over the greater part of the following day, attain special prominence from the fact that in spite of the stupendous damage done to property, no lives were lost. The burnt area covered 140 acres and comprised 80 city blocks in the business section, while no less than 27 great buildings of fire-resistive construction were completely gutted and in some cases collapsed. It may here be stated that at no time was there any shortage of water, which of course is one of the most general causes for the spread of a fire. At 10.48 on that Sunday morning, the automatic alarm registered a call from the basement of the Hearst Building, a wholesale dry-goods house with a varied stock, including a large supply of celluloid novelties. Its location was the southeast corner of Liberty and German Streets, and within forty-eight seconds of the alarm an engine company and a hook-and-ladder company under command of the district chief were upon the scene. At that time no fire was visible on the first floor, and neither smoke nor heat was apparent. Presumably this led to an underestimation of the seriousness of the outbreak, as the firemen promptly proceeded to attack only with a single line of chemical hose passed from the German street side of the building into the basement. The small blaze discovered there, and probably caused by a smoldering pile of rubbish, suddenly burst into flame, which with incredible rapidity ran up the elevator shaft, driving the firemen from their positions. About seven minutes later a violent explosion occurred, blowing out the windows in the building and shattering all the glass in the immediate neighborhood. It was then seen that the entire house was alight from top to bottom, and the flames shooting out through the windows greedily licked the walls of the buildings opposite, which in their turn took fire. Being Sunday, a large proportion of the population were at church, when the muffled boom of the explosion was heard above the solemn strains of sacred music. What it portended none could tell, but in the twinkling of an eye ministers and their congregations had left their devotions and hurried into the street. As though in answer to their worst fears, another dull rumble of threatening significance was borne across the morning breeze. Later this was ascertained to have been caused by the explosion of a large quantity of blasting powder, which, by blowing out more windows, expedited the onrush of the flames. Residents in the hilly portions of the city, gazing fearfully in the direction of the sound, could see huge volumes of fleecy smoke rising sullenly from the business quarter, and then, at last, the realization was brought home upon them that they were face to face with a great conflagration. Amongst the first to reach the outbreak were scores of businessmen intent upon saving their books and records, and who eagerly enlisted the services of boys, loafers, longshoremen, in fact, any person willing to aid in the all-important task. The express companies likewise responded with all speed to the sudden demands made upon them, and sent emergency calls for all their employees to requisition handcarts and wagons. Meantime, the outbreak had increased alarmingly, and had obviously grown beyond the control of the fire department. A district alarm had almost at once been sent in, 
and the departmental chief hurrying to the scene of operations had quickly realized that the flames fanned by an increasing wind and spreading in two directions would need a greater force to deal with them than he had at his disposal also bad luck seemed to dog their most desperate efforts an attempt to save a valuable piece of apparatus cost precious time and was unsuccessful while chief horton himself was unfortunate enough soon after his arrival to be incapacitated for duty by a severe electric shock from a falling cable it is impossible to estimate the moral effect of such an occurrence for even as on a battlefield soldiers look for encouragement and stimulus to their commander even more so do the rank and file of a fire-fighting force depend upon the example and propinquity of their chief as soon as it became clear that the conflagration was assuming colossal proportions urgent messages were sent to surrounding towns such as washington chester york and philadelphia for their assistance and ultimately even to new york which responded to the call with promptitude owing to the congestion of apparatus however the crowds of spectators and the general confusion many of the out-of-town engines could not be utilized to the best of advantage while differences in hose couplings obliged numbers to obtain their own water supply direct from the harbor thus preventing their presence where most urgent the fire generally took a westerly direction and the buildings in the path of the flames failed to offer any resistance owing to their firewalls being parallel to the onset in the town itself the conditions were lamentable at the city hospital the sisters of mercy with smiling faces and sinking hearts endeavored to keep all news of the fire from their charges while the staff physicians stationed themselves on the roof in order to extinguish the burning embers which rained down upon them finally it was deemed necessary to transport the sufferers to a place of safety in the upper town a task carried out with the greatest tenderness and skill needless to add all the medical men in the town had offered their services and though happily these were required in only a few instances the knowledge of the fact went a long way toward reassuring the timid from five o'clock in the afternoon till midnight the fire made its greatest headway the wind during this period having increased from fourteen miles an hour in a westerly direction to twenty-five miles after which it veered to the northwest and remained in that quarter with decreasing velocity till the finish the spread of the conflagration in the direct path of the wind was practically unchecked by the operations of the firefighters by the doubtful expedient of dynamiting both burning and unburned buildings by the streets or by the so-called fireproof buildings minor explosions however did much to hamper the efficiency of the department one hundred fifty two whiskey barrels for instance caught fire and burst flooding the street with burning spirits and causing indirectly the destruction of three pieces of apparatus it may be here mentioned that valuable assistance was rendered by volunteers numbering some two hundred who extinguished a large number of subsidiary fires started by burning brands in quarters not in the direct path of the wind some successes were registered and served to cheer the drooping spirits of the fighters 
on the west side of liberty street and even in the vicinity of the hearst building a strong force concentrated to windward succeeded in saving a large shirt factory keeping the temperature down to a point where the automatic sprinklers were not called into play subsequently that system certainly proved its value the dry goods store of o'neill and company the entire interior of which was provided with that apparatus was threatened with destruction the roof boards being ignited owing to their tin sheathing becoming red-hot fifteen sprinkler heads opened and prevented that fire from spreading another notable instance of successful defense was that made by a third wholesale dry-goods house the lloyd jackson company situated at the southeast corner of liberty and lombard streets owners and employees put up a stiff fight kept the roofs wet by hose streams from their private fire pump and hung blankets soaked with water over the cornices at the same time water was pumped into the sprinkler supply tank above the roof until it overflowed when by plugging up the roof drain pipes the water was forced to run over the cornice and thus formed a water curtain down the north front of the building a large amount of glass was broken but there was practically no damage to the interior perhaps the most dramatic scenes were enacted in the neighborhood of the docks where as already stated the out-of-town departments were able to find full scope for their services no one lacked for employment in the river tugs of all sizes dashed in and out amongst the shipping towing away to safety great vessels and their valuable cargoes whose charterers or agents had visions of their entire destruction rescue had come none too soon for the docks of many had grown so hot that it was agony for the sailors to tread their scorched surfaces while the paint on funnels and sides blistered and peeled off in flakes a north german lloyd cargo steamer making its way slowly up the bay was confronted with the spectacle of what would have awaited it had it docked a few hours earlier and anchored hurriedly at a safe distance one busy tug was the means of rescuing the president of the c a gambrel company whose offices were behind the fruit wharves absorbed in saving his books he had not observed that his way to the street was cut off by the advancing flames until he reached the door his only hope now lay in the docks which were already in a precarious state and clutching his treasures under his arms he ran at full speed along the wharf's edge searching with anxious eyes for a boat and even meditating the final arbitrament of the water below him fortunately his plight was noticed and he was dragged on to the tug none the worse for his adventure and now occurred the first notable victory of men against fire in this portion of the city had the flames succeeded in involving denmead's malt house not all the fire departments in america could have stemmed the tidal wave of destruction which would have ensued and it is to the credit of the fire-boat cataract that this catastrophe was averted aided by companies on land she fought the oncoming conflagration with grim determination until the safety of the malt house was assured by this time thirty-six companies a police boat and two tugs had concentrated all their force in the vicinity of jones falls a little dirty bad-smelling stream 
which had never served a useful purpose and which the municipality had proposed filling in owing to its unsanitary condition there city stood by city wilmington by chester york by washington baltimore by philadelphia and new york which had arrived late upon the scene but was doing yeoman service five firemen on the roof of one building had a narrow escape working like demons to save the adjoining houses they heard shouts of warning from their comrades in the street and to their dismay saw the flames beneath them a tall telegraph pole which fortunately rose to the height of the roof on which they stood was the only means of escape from the furnace which they could hear roaring below them reaching a tin gutter which afforded them some hold they one by one clutched the pole and slid to the ground the roof on which they had stood falling in before the last man once again had feet on solid earth around the lumber yards on either side of jones falls steam and smoke rose in such clouds that day was turned into night and firemen struggled along in practical darkness at length the united efforts of all the fire departments were beginning to tell and the final struggle for supremacy was short and decisive a minor fire had been started by sparks in a wood-yard across the falls and for a moment it seemed as though past efforts were to be obliterated in this new development but baltimore and chester faced it undismayed and human skill triumphed over its deadly enemy from that time on it was a comparatively easy matter to confine the fire to the limits which it had already reached and the last flames were extinguished towards the evening of that exhausting day new york long cherished a souvenir of the event in the shape of a stray dog which adopted engine sixteen as its foster father and followed it faithfully through the streets all day it accompanied the crew on their return and made itself perfectly at home in its new surroundings responding to its name of baltimore as though it had never known any other it is estimated that the temperature of the fire was rarely much in excess of two thousand two hundred degrees fahrenheit although in some spots it seems to have been approximately two thousand eight hundred degrees or more according to various estimates the most intense heat in the fire resistive buildings lasted from thirty to sixty minutes varying with the amount of combustible contents exposure and other features cast-iron radiators and typewriter frames were found in some places almost completely destroyed by oxidation but had melted in a few cases only wired glass melted in a number of instances in contradistinction to ordinary fires in individual buildings which usually spread vertically from floor to floor this conflagration was essentially a horizontal fire as regards its attack and progress in each building as a rule every story was ignited simultaneously through the exterior windows and the fire swept across the building and out at the opposite side under such conditions the protection of floor openings will avail but little if the windows are unprotected vaults made of brick walls built up from the ground especially those having double walls with an air space between made a remarkably good showing when provided with double iron doors 
the outer ones being filled with about four inches of cement for insulation against heat. Vaults made of ordinary terracotta tiles, about five inches thick, and carried on the floors and structural frame, failed in a number of cases, owing to the fact that the tile was fragile and was cracked or broken by the heat. About twenty-five percent of the contents of the tile vaults was destroyed. Some of these tiled vaults also had double doors, each made of a single thickness of sheet steel with no insulation against heat. In a number of cases the inner door was left open, and the heat which radiated through the outer one destroyed the contents. Portable safes fared badly, approximately sixty-five percent of their contents having been destroyed. This was true of all makes of such safes, whether insulated with cushions of concrete or not. It is a curious fact that the low bank buildings, on account apparently of their small height, and in some cases sheltered position, usually escaped the maximum heat of the general conflagration, and did not receive an extreme fire test. As a rule, they were partially wrecked by the falling walls of higher buildings. A group of high office buildings of steel and terracotta tile construction were typical of what may be expected from structures of this type, and it is interesting to note that the damage was generally greatest in the stories above the first, notwithstanding the fact that practically no water was used by the fire department in any of these buildings the basements and in some cases the first stories were to all intents and purposes untouched although the floors above were completely burnt out even the wooden nailing strips which were embedded in cinder concrete below the top flooring were entirely destroyed it was also specially noticeable that although the conflagration attacked the fire-resistive buildings with great severity, the largest damage to the interiors was due to the fires in the buildings themselves. The damage was appreciably greatest where there had been a considerable amount of combustible material in storage. Even the severest injury to the exterior finish of the walls occurred over the windows on the leeward side when the fire came from within. Such was the great fire of Baltimore, the effects of which staggered the insurance companies of two continents, and sent not a few into liquidation. But as is often the case in such events, it brought in its train fresh channels of thought about fire control, while the energy and enterprise of its citizens has quickly obliterated all signs of the lamentable occurrence. Without going too deeply into problems which are dealt with in general elsewhere, there is one point which must make appeal to even the various tyro on fires and their fighting, namely that Ovid, when he penned the lines, Beginnings check, too late is physic sought, was giving the world in epitomized form the very key to the mastery of success against flames. End of section 10. Recording by Maria Casper.